talks for some kind of resolution in Gaza are underway on multiple fronts as the death toll nears 20,000. And a deadly shooting at a church there has Palestinian Christians worried their small community won't survive. I'm Amy Martinez, that's Leila Fadel, and this is Up First from NPR News. Leaders in the EU say they've reached a breakthrough on talks over a new migration plan. The pending deal is meant to distribute migration more evenly across Europe, but some advocates say it could lock out asylum seekers. And when it rains, it pours, especially as the planet's climate warms up. As severe storms become more common, scientists say the rain patterns of yesterday are long gone. We need to understand that. We need to consider that instead of planning for the climate we used to have. So stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your day. This message comes from NPR sponsor Monopoly Go. Monopoly with a twist. Live your own billionaire life in the hit mobile game Monopoly Go. Build a fortune exploring Monopoly boards across locations like Tokyo, Camelot, even Mars. Roll the dice to build epic landmarks and become a tycoon. Team up with friends for epic rewards or take their fortune by collecting rent, pulling off bank heists, and more. Start your billionaire story today. Download Monopoly Go now free on the App Store and Google Play. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One offers checking accounts with no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Intense bombardments and Israeli ground operations in the Gaza Strip continue as Hamas launches rockets into Israel. But there are talks underway for some sort of pause. Yeah, negotiations appear to be taking place between Israel and Hamas. All this as the death toll in Gaza will soon reach 20,000 people, according to the health ministry there. And that's not to mention the tens of thousands more people that are wounded in the midst of this dire humanitarian crisis. Joining us to discuss all this from Tel Aviv is NPR's Jason DeRose. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Leila. So what can you tell us about these talks? Well, diplomats from Israel and Qatar, backed by the U.S., have been meeting in Europe to work out some sort of a deal, according to U.S. officials. Also, Hamas says that one of its senior leaders, Ismail Haniya, was in Cairo on Wednesday, and Egypt has been playing a role in ceasefire talks, too. Mm-hmm. Hamas is still believed to be holding more than 100 Israeli hostages, and Israel wants them back. And you'll recall during the first ceasefire, Hamas released hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners held by Israel during each day of the pause. Now, at the same time, the UN Security Council is trying to pass a resolution calling for a humanitarian pause in fighting. A vote on that continues to be delayed over language acceptable to the U.S. in order to avoid a U.S. veto. I mean, in the backdrop of all this, there is 
a war and loss of life. I mean, has there been any let up in Gaza as these talks happen? Fighting has been intense. Heavy shelling from Israel by air and land and sea. We mentioned the 20,000 milestone death toll. Mm-hmm. The UN says the most intense shelling is in the Bet Lahia and Gaza City in the north, in Khan Yunis in the east, and Rafa in the south. Israeli military says dozens of aircrafts attacked about 230 targets in Gaza yesterday. And the humanitarian crisis there is worsening due to a lack of food and water and power. Now, the Israeli military says it's uncovered something of a command center in one of those underground tunnels we hear so much about. Those are tunnels Hamas uses to move people and equipment and supplies around Gaza. Israeli leaders say one of the main objectives of this war is to destroy those tunnels as part of its overall goal to destroy Hamas after the October 7th attacks that killed some 1,200 people. And while all of this is going on, rockets continue to be launched from Gaza and southern Lebanon into Israel. Air raid sirens go off pretty regularly here. Now, I understand you've been reporting on a specific incident, a shooting at a church in Gaza. What can you tell us about that? Well, the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem says two women sheltering at Holy Family Parish in northern Gaza were shot and killed by a sniper. Mm -hmm. The church says it was an Israeli sniper, but it didn't go into detail about how it knew this. Bishop William Shomali says there's also been shelling of the church compound. The Israeli army is flattened all the area around the parish. People cannot go outside of the compound because they can be killed. The Pope has even talked about the shooting and the shelling and referred to them as terrorism. The Israeli military says it was performing an operation nearby when the incident took place, but they say their investigation doesn't show they were responsible for the killing of the women. Now, there are only two churches in all of Gaza. Holy Family Parish, where the shooting took place, has about 500 people taking refuge there. Mm -hmm. There are only about 1,000 Palestinian Christians who live in Gaza. And there's real concern this war could mean the end of the Christian community there. That's NPR's Jason DeRose in Tel Aviv. Thank you for your reporting, Jason. You're welcome. France's interior minister defended a controversial new immigration bill in the French National Assembly yesterday. The French parliament recently approved the bill that many NGOs and those on the left are calling one of the most regressive immigration laws in decades. The French law comes as the European Union also agreed yesterday on sweeping changes to the bloc's immigration policy. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley is here to discuss all this and what it means. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning, Layla. So let's start with this new immigration legislation in France. What makes it so controversial? Well, President Macron's centrist party needs support in the parliament, and the first version of the bill was rejected. Uh, and so they redrafted it because they want they wanted the mainstream right to support it, and they made it a lot tougher. Critics now say the bill looks like the anti-immigration platform of the far right, and the law is causing a huge rift in Macron's own party. One minister resigned in opposition. There's been an uproar not only from the far left, but from people accusing Macron of mainstreaming the far right's ideas. And far right leader Marine Le Pen herself called the bill a victory. Listen to this. Mais sur le principe, je crois que c'est une grande victoire idéologique. 
She says it's a great ideological victory for her party. Our goals have been achieved in this bill. You know, many people voted for Macron twice to block Marine Le Pen from becoming president. So they're incredulous that they say he is now parroting her policies. Macron, mm. of course, rejects this. He spoke on television last night for two hours defending the bill. He says it's the shield France needs, but it's a political win for Le Pen. Some are calling it her breakout moment. So what are some of the more divisive provisions in the French law? Well, it makes it harder for legal immigrants to bring family members over. It cracks down on foreign students. And while Macron wanted to allow immigration for labor-deprived sectors, it doesn't do that. And it introduces waiting periods for immigrants who are working to be eligible for some social services like housing aid. And they say that could lead to families living on the street. I spoke with Hélène Soupios-David from migrant NGO Terre d'Asile. Here she is. France and the EU has adopted laws and regulations that are in violation of human rights and that are also putting into question the rights to asylum. What is Europe facing, though, when it comes to migration? Leila, for years we've seen a huge uptick in migration coming from the Middle East right. and all across Africa. The wave began in 2015 with the Syrian civil war, but it's continuing and increasing. And EU countries have been dealing with it in an ad hoc, uncoordinated way. Thousands of people have drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. And this is fueling popularity of far-right anti-immigrant politicians, and that's why there's such pressure on the EU as a whole to do something. So we've spoken about the French law. What about for the EU? What's in their new measure? on immigration. Well, it allows for faster checking of migrants at external EU borders to facilitate repatriation of those who don't qualify for asylum. The biggest element is it creates binding solidarity for the EU. Every country has to help frontline states now, like Italy and Greece, by either taking migrants or paying frontline countries to deal with them. Ulva Johansson, European Commissioner for Home Affairs, spoke about it. Finally, after so many years, we have managed to agree on a common comprehensive migration and asylum policy. It's not only a win for EU and Europe, it's a win for migrants. But of course, migrants and their advocates strongly disagree. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley. Thank you, Eleanor. You're welcome, Layla. Heavy rain in the Northeast this week flooded towns in Vermont, some of which were still recovering from floods over the summer. The east coast of Australia also saw flooding after some cities got more than 30 inches of rain. These kind of events are becoming more common as the climate gets hotter. For more on what coming storms could look like, Lauren Summer is here from NPR's Climate Desk. Good morning, Lauren. Morning. So what is happening with rainfall? How much more dangerous are storms already becoming? The short answer is that in most of the U.S., when it rains, it rains more. And extreme storms are getting more extreme. They're dropping more rain. Over the last 50 years, that's been particularly true in the Northeast and the Midwest, where those really bad storms are dropping 40 to 50 percent more rain. And do we know that climate change is already causing that? Yeah, there are a lot of studies that show intensifying rainfall is mostly due to the planet getting hotter, which is happening as humans burn more fossil fuels. And that's because a hotter atmosphere can hold more moisture, more water vapor. So the storms just have more water to work with, basically. How much worse does rainfall get if the planet continues warming? Yeah, I spoke to Megan Kirkmeyer-Young about this. She's a research scientist at Environment and Climate Change Canada, which is a government agency. She says if we stay on the current path of climate change, rainfall gets even more extreme in many parts of North America. Some of those changes are considerable. Events that used to be very rare 
in the future under a few degrees of global warming will be fairly common events. You know, in the southern U.S. in particular, storms could drop 20 to 30 percent more rain in the future, according to one study. What does this mean for communities in the U.S. and the flooding they could see? Yeah, you know, it's a big danger because when it rains, all that water needs to drain away. And that's handled by storm drains and other infrastructure. And when communities build that, they design it for a certain kind of storm. And if it's the storms of last century, then all that concrete around you, it's going to get overwhelmed. And that's when streets flood, basement apartments flood, people actually lose their lives. Kirk Meyer Young says that's why communities need to plan for climate change. Our climate is not stationary. It is changing and it's going to continue to change. And we need to understand that. We need to consider that instead of planning for the climate we used to have. So how much help are cities getting in preparing for a future with more intense rain? Yeah, it's actually a huge problem. It's something we've covered for years on the Climate Desk. A handful of cities are planning for climate change. You know, they're using the storms of the future to build infrastructure today, so it's ready for that. But many cities are not. I've spoken to several that are designing for storms from 60 years ago, and that means they're at risk. The issue is that cities rely on information from the federal government to know what kind of storms to plan for. Those records are decades old for many states. They don't take climate change into account. That is changing. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is updating rainfall records currently, but, you know, it won't be ready until 2026 at the earliest. So in the meantime, communities are largely on their own. Thanks for this, Lauren. Thank you. Lauren Summer is on NPR's Climate Desk. That's a first for Thursday, December 21st. I'm Leila Faldil. And I'm A. Martinez. Up first is produced by Claire Murashima, David West, and Katie Klein. Our editors are Neela Banerjee, Ali Schweitzer, Michael Sullivan, and Alice Wolfley. We get engineering support from Robert Rodriguez, and our technical director is Zach Coleman. As always, join us again tomorrow. And before we let you go, I have a thank you and a request. Thanks for letting up first keep you informed. Your financial support is what makes our work and the news and podcasts you rely on from across the NPR network work possible. Now, thing is, though, even though our journalism is freely available, it is not free to produce. So again, a big thanks to UpFirst Plus supporters and anyone listening who donates to public media. Now, the request. If you haven't made the leap to supporter, today is the day to join or make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station. So there are some choices. What really matters is that you're a part of the community of listeners who make this work possible. We cannot do it without you. And your support makes sure everyone else can listen too. Give today at donate.npr.org slash upburst or check out NPR Plus at plus.npr.org. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. 
I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Want to hear this podcast without sponsor breaks? Amazon Prime members can listen to Up First sponsor-free through Amazon Music. Or you can also support NPR's vital journalism and get Up First Plus at plus.npr.org. That's plus.npr.org.